This is the last week of our series, The Process, which makes me a little bit sad because I've enjoyed this. Um, just to recap a little bit before we, we kind of talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, we started week one um, talking about um, testing ourselves, testing our faith as believers, and, and if um, we really do believe. Um, if you remember, there are four types of people. Do you remember who they are, the four types from the test? So there's the moving believer, there's the stuck believer, there's the false believer, and then there's the undecided believer who hasn't got to that step yet. So that week we talked about which one of those four um, <clears throat> you would have fell into. And then the week after that, which had been two weeks ago, we talked about our sin. We talked about where sin came from. We talked about how, um, what our sin means for us. And then last week we talked about the hope that we have in Jesus, um, that our sin doesn't have to be the end, that Jesus came and he died for us and took our sins away from us so that we could engage in a relationship with um, the all-powerful God and we can enter heaven upon our earthly death. This week we're, we're talking about... Um, continuing to move in this process. And the process that I'm referring to is a process of sanctification. And I'm going to use that word a couple of times, so I'm going to tell you exactly what it means. Sanctify means to set apart as or declare holy, to consecrate. Okay? Set apart as or declare holy. And this is a process to, to get to this point. We will never achieve ultimate holiness or consecration or whatever. Um, the only time we do that is when we die and when we're in heaven. Then we will be sanctified. But until then on, and on earth, after we receive Christ, we are in this process of sanctification until we die. And it's so important that once we enter in this process that we, we keep moving, that we don't get stuck in this process. Too many people accept that gift and then they just kind of turn off. They just expect everything else just to happen for them. And that's not at all how it goes. They just coast through life. But it takes time, and it, it's a process to move out of sin. If you went to, to camp, I'm, I'm stealing this from the speaker, to get out of, to move out of sin and move into him. Yeah, remember that? Remember they had the big S and the N and the big H and M, and the dude was the I? Yeah, it was cool. Um, but that's a process to get that point. Um, the Bible talks in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we have that one, we throw that up on the screen. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we tend to look at this verse and just kind of, I mean, you kind of read it and think that once a person becomes in Christ or receives Christ, that they are just, boom, like a new creation. That the old is just, it's, it's gone, it's far away, and it's all the new. Um, and maybe sometimes that happens, but I think a lot of times that this is more of a process than maybe we, we look at. Um, to become new, to become a whole new person, to get out of your sin and, and into him, that's a process. It just doesn't happen all at once, usually. It takes a little bit for us to move away from our old self and to move into our new self, our new self in Christ. And it all starts with our mindset, where our head is at. We have to determine that we are going to live for Jesus. It's not just something that's going to happen. We have to, to make the decision to keep moving, to live our lives for Christ. To do that, we need to consider everything that, we, that he did, and we need to decide to live for him completely. But what does that mean, to live for him completely? I'm glad you asked. Luke 14, 26. It says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Read that. 
Just read it to yourself. It's on the screen. Just read it again to yourself in your head. Look at the words. Receive what it's saying. Maybe if you're like me, you've read this passage and you kind of like, nah, that can't be real, right? That can't be really what he wants us to do, right? To leave our families. Our families are good. Let's talk about this. The one thing that we can for sure take from this passage in Luke 14 is that God has to be everything. Everything. Now, these things aren't bad things, right? The family members, uh, wife and children, they're good things. Brothers and sisters, those are good things. But he didn't really list bad things in this. He didn't say, um, to be a disciple, you have to give up alcohol, drugs, cursing, etc. But that would be more acceptable to us, right? We could read that and be like, yeah, that makes sense. I can totes do that. We can understand that. But to give up our family, to be willing to die yourself, that says that absolutely nothing can come before God in your life. That God has to be everything in your life. That not even your family members and your own life can come before Christ. Think about that. Can you say that in your life? Let's go to Matthew 16, 24. You don't have to open up your Bibles yet. We'll use them in a couple minutes. It's on the screen, Matthew 16, 24. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You've probably heard this passage. I've talked about this passage before. But this says to follow Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, that we have to die to ourselves. To take up our cross means to take up our death. The cross of it is an instrument of death. So to take up our cross, that means that we have to be willing to die. And then to deny ourselves means that we need to deny ourselves of what we want, our will, and everything that we are, everything that we have, we have to be willing to deny ourselves that. Sometimes we like to water this passage down and say that, oh, it doesn't mean that. It's not that harsh. It just means, well, if you read the Bible a couple you know, for a couple minutes a day, or if you give up listening to that, that terrible pop music um, that curses all the time, or if you give up watching that, those kinds of movies, then you'll be good. That is not at all what it is saying. That might be a tiny little piece of it. But it says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. We have to literally be willing to die, get to a point where our lives mean nothing to us. To follow Jesus, we can't let other things creep in our lives. We have to clear our life out so that he is the focal point. Not just the focal point in the middle of stuff, but he's the stuff. He's everything. In the past, I've done this several times, and we're going to do it again tonight. I want you to take literally one minute, and I want you to write down the top five priorities in your life. Listen, do not write yet. Look at me in the eyeballs. Be honest. If you're not honest, this thing doesn't matter. Okay? Be honest, top five priorities, go. So if you look at your list, if there's anything in front of God, in fact, if there's anything even close to God, if you for a second had to think, hmm, God or family, or hmm, God, God or friends, then we're missing it. 
Luke 14, Matthew 16 tell us that he not only needs to be our number one, he needs to be our one through five. He needs to be our one through a hundred. He needs to be everything. The fact is that during the, this process of sanctification, the Holy Spirit is going to strip us down until there's nothing left but just yourself, just you. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to be yourself and nothing more? No friends, no father, no parents, no mother, no brother, no self-interest, just you simply ready for death. Think about that. Think it. Are you prepared to do that? Are you ready to be like, yep, sign me up? That's not easy to say because there's a lot of stuff in our lives that we like. Maybe some of us enjoy our parents, our friends, the lives that we have, your life, period. But are you willing to just have none of that? This is the condition required for sanctification. This is where most of us struggle. We refuse to be identified with the death of, of Jesus. On this point, we say that this is too strict. Surely he doesn't require this of me to give up my family, to give up my life, to give up everything I have. But he does. We can't take scripture and bend it to mean something that's more comfortable. These are his words. This isn't like somebody, um, somebody else saying this. This is Jesus saying this. We need to take up a cross. We need to deny ourselves. We need to, to put everybody else and everything else and even our own lives behind Jesus. Christianity, true Christianity, is not easy. Now, there's a lot of people out there living a, a cheap version of Christianity that's much easier, where they're comfortable they have the things that they want. They're not stretching themselves. They're comfortable. That's not what true Christianity is. True Christianity is uncomfortable. It's not for the weak. It's not for those who aren't willing to fight and to work for it. The question that you need to deal with right now is, are you willing to work for it? Are you willing to fight for it? That's why we have so many people in the church. That's why we have so many people in this room right now who are stuck because we're not willing, because we like what we have. We like our lives. And right now, our lives are more important than Jesus, straight up. We're not willing. Are you willing to work for it, to fight for it? Are you willing to do that? Open your Bibles to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. Uh, there's a lot of of, of thick stuff in this passage, and it, it, if you kind of break it apart, it gives us a little bit of a, a formula, a couple pointers on how we continue, how we can continue to move in this process of sanctification. The first thing it tells us in, in the first verse, in verse 13, is to prepare our minds. We need to prepare our minds for action. Now, there's three ways to do this. There's, well, that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, there's one that they talk about in this passage, but the, the first two aren't in there. The first way we can prepare our mind is by reading our Bibles. Yeah. Does that shock you? Are you shocked by that a little bit? This is, this is maybe one of the better ways that we can prepare our minds is by, by hitting the Word of God. Um, when we read our Bibles, we begin to synchronize ourselves to God, to synchronize our minds with His, our lives with what He would have for us. 
Um, there's no way that you can know um, anything as far as um, what God wants of you, what your purpose is, and, and all these big questions and things if, if you don't read the Bible. Um, the Bible is where we find the truth. It's the Word of God. It's His words to us. So many times we try to, to find the Word of God and, and, and hear God outside of, of the Bible, and, and we ask God speak to us, but he, he already has spoke so much to us in this book, and it's so important that we are actively engaging in, in a devotional life, that we are reading the Bible um, every day, maybe not just for two seconds right before your head hits a pillow, but make this the first thing you do. Make this a priority because it's super, super important. The second way we prepare our minds is by praying. Did that shock you too? Did that one shock you? Yeah? Um, this is, again, another way for us to synchronize ourselves with God uh, by communicating with Him. And it's not necessarily about having these two-way conversations with God. Has anyone had a two-way conversation with God? where you spoke and God spoke and then you spoke and then God spoke? Probably doesn't happen too often. That's not what it's about. It's not about us asking God for things and then him either doing it or not doing it. That's not what it's about. Prayer is about us opening up this line of communication between us and him. When we do that, when we're praying, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean we walk around constantly just praying out loud. That means that we just pray and are focused on him constantly that we recognize his existence constantly. Think about it today. You walk through school, probably not even really mindful and conscious of the fact that God is alive and that he's there, right? We all do that. But when we're engaging in an active prayer life that's opening up our line of communication, that's making us knowledgeable of his existence throughout an entire day. That's what praying without ceasing is, and it's super important that we do that. That When we do that, then we see these things that are God doing in our life is actually things that he's doing in our life and not just random coincidences. They're God. Uh, it's God actively um, doing things and active in our lives. I use that word active twice in a sentence. It's tacky. And then the last way we prepare our mind is what the, the passage tells us is to have our hope in grace and the grace of Christ. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in our lives. There's a lot of bad things that, that we have to go through in our lives. And sometimes we just get to a point in our lives where we just feel so hopeless. Um, and then maybe even sometimes in, in those times of hopelessness, we try to find our hope in other things, in, in empty things that can't provide hope, like drugs or alcohol or relationships or sports or school or whatever. But these things can't provide the hope that we need. The only place we find that hope is in Jesus and in the grace that he showed us. He loved us. He died for us. He he died for us so that he could take our sins away from us. That's what grace is. We didn't deserve it, but yet he poured out this mercy and this grace on us because he loves us. And we can rely on that. We can place our hope in that and nowhere else. So we need to prepare our minds. And lastly, we need to uh, not conform. The passage tells us, don't conform. get to this part quick. It says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Let's talk about that phrase, former ignorance, for a second. The word former implies that it's in the past, right? That it's not current, that it's behind you. But yet, there's a lot of us who are still living in this ignorance. It's not former, it's present ignorance. We're still living in our sin because we enjoy the things that we do. We like the bad that we do. So we keep our ignorance, we keep our sin in the, in the current, in the now, in the present. 
But we need to put it in our past. We need to make it our past. We need to move on. We need to move forward away from it. We can't stay in that ignorance. And then there's the word ignorance, which implies that we don't know better. And before Jesus, we didn't know better. We didn't realize how horrible we were, how our sin gets us wrapped up in the price that we deserve to pay for our sin. But now most of us, if not all of us, have, have taken that step and, and have confessed their belief in Jesus. And now you know. Now it's not ignorance. It's crossed over from ignorance to disobedience. Write that down in your notebook. Now that you're a believer, it's no longer ignorance. It's just disobedience. We can't conform. As a teenager, not even just as a teenager, just as a, as a human being, we just want to conform because it's easiest. We want to just fit in. We don't want to stir anything up. But we cannot live in the world and we cannot live for Christ at the same time. Christ cannot live in you if sin is in you. It's either one or the other. Jesus tells us to be holy as I am holy. Would you classify your, your living as holy? I know a lot of times I wouldn't. But we are to be holy as he is holy. We cannot conform to the pattern of the world like the, 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 the Bible says. But we need to live for Christ. We need to choose, make a decision, one or the other. So we like to talk about sometimes um, how things affect us. So let's do that. Let's talk about why. Why should we do this? Why should we engage in this process of sanctification? The passage mentions this idea of being ransomed, right? And this, this idea of being ransomed by Jesus is this. Maybe some of you know this, and if you do, just bear with me. But um, maybe you've seen a movie or been in a situation or seen the no news when somebody is kidnapped, okay? It's unfortunate, but sometimes it happens. And sometimes what happens is um, the person who does the kidnapping will send a ransom note to the person or to the family of the kidnappee, okay? And in that note, we'll say things like, hey, you need to give me $100 billion, otherwise, <laughs> donezo, okay? Um, and then oftentimes what happens is that family will find $100 billion or whatever I said and pay the kidnapper in to get their person back, Right? Um, so to be ransomed by Jesus means that, that we were dead, right? We had this huge debt that we couldn't pay, and we deserved hell for it. We deserved to die for it. And then what happened is Jesus came in, and he read this ransom note. And he's like, dude, I can do that. And he went in, and he sacrificed himself for us. He died for us so that we don't have to, and he saved us from that. Hence, he ransomed us from death, Right? But the simple fact is to answer this question of why should we engage in this process is we don't do this because of how it affects us. Even though there are definite pluses and blessings in this process, we do this, we live for Jesus because he died for us, because he ransomed us, plain and simple. God's love for us is astounding. Jesus' sacrifice for us is immense. We owed this huge debt that we could not pay, and Jesus paid it for us. We owe him our lives. Plain and simple. We owe him our focus. We owe him everything that we have and everything that we are. That's it. That's why we go through this process. 
That's why we dedicate our lives to him because of what he did for us. It's not for the blessings, even though there are blessings that come with us. It's not for that. It's not for anything as it relates to us. It's not about us. We do it for him, to be close to him, to be close to the one who gave his life for us. That's why we do it. As we wrap up, I want you to think about which type of person you were from week one. Maybe you wrote it down, maybe you didn't. I'm sure you know. Were you the moving believer? Were you the stuck believer? Were you the false believer or undecided? If you were the last two, hopefully now you're good after what we talked about last week. Hopefully you took that step and made that decision to believe and to follow Christ. If you're the moving believer, keep moving. Keep pushing on closer and closer to Jesus. But if you probably, like most of the people in this room, are a stuck believer, let's push through tonight. Let's make the decision, first of all. It's not just going to happen by itself. You have to decide and be determined to continue moving to him. And secondly, let's, let's remember why, why we're doing this. Remember who you were in sin. Remember what Jesus did for you and what that means for you now in your life now. Then let's focus on God to completely deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to take up our death, and to focus on him, to block everything else out in our lives and to focus on him. Let's prepare our minds. Let's engage in, in reading our Bible. Let's engage in an active prayer life. Let's place our hope in the grace of Jesus and not all these other things. And then lastly, let's refuse to conform. Let's not settle for the world, for this former ignorance but let's live in righteousness. Let's live in obedience to God. So I'm going to pray here pretty quick. But for my prayers to be more intentional, I want to do this. If you were someone who was a stuck believer, um, would classify themselves honestly and realistically as a stuck believer, and more than that, want to commit to moving, to becoming a moving believer and not just laying back and and hoping everything will just fall together. If you want to commit to movement, I want you just to stand up. As you stand, you declare your commitment that no longer am I going to be stuck, but I'm going to move. Now recognize that as we stand here, that this creates a sense of accountability to each other. That no longer will we ourselves allow ourselves to be stuck, but no longer will we allow our family, our body of Christ to be stuck as well. That will hold each other accountable, not in a mean, jerky way, but as the body of Christ would, as a family would, to push each other. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm so thankful for the courage and the boldness, Lord, for these students to stand up. Lord, to say they were stuck and they don't want to be stuck anymore. And we all get a point in our in our lives in our Christianity where we just get stuck. We just we just kind of put in cruise control and we don't take it seriously the way we should. But this is serious. Your words are serious. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot that you call us to. I mean, you call us to to focus on you and not care about 
our family, to not care about our own lives. You call us to, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross, to take up our death and follow you completely. Lord, tonight we stand here and we say we're going to follow you. It's going to be wicked uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. But we're going to follow you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help these students, that you would help us take the steps necessarily to follow you, to really follow you, to no longer just say we're Christians and to, to put on that mask, God, but that we would legitimately follow you, completely follow you. God, that, that our priorities list would be just you. God, that you would consume our lives, that you would be our everything, everything that we need, God. Lord, help us to do those things that are necessary to get to that place. God, so that we could live the lives that you're calling us to live. God, that we won't settle anymore. But we would sell out and live for you, to live for your purpose, to live for your calling. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.